0: Log Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Whitton-Walter. Today we're going to be covering A Darkness of Mind, pages 162 to 173 of the Four Crafts. We're talking about priestcraft today. I'll get right into the reading. Am I going to weep over the condition of the world? No, God made it, and he suffers millions to dwell upon it in ignorance of him. I have nothing to do with it. All I have to do is, when God sends me, to go and teach the people the principles of light, intelligence, and truth, so far as I know them, and no further. And if they reject them, it is none of my business. In many instances, They do it for want of information and according to the government, priestcraft and prejudices, etc., of which they are under the dominion. It is difficult for them to comprehend comprehend correct principles when they hear them or to know the light when when they see it shine. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. They understood they understand many things perhaps better than you do, but they do not understand the principles of the gospel as you do. For want of the light of the Spirit of God, no man can comprehend that sphere without the Spirit. I'm sorry, no man can comprehend that without spirit. And that's John Taylor in Journal of Discourses, Volume 1, page 156. Here is the difference between us at the present time and the priestcraft and the kingcraft and the crafts of of the various systems among the nations. They have tended to befog, bewilder, bind down, and lead the masses into ignorance. But the principles of the gospel are ca- calculated to expand the mind, enlarge the heart, unfold the capacity, and make all men feel their relationship to God and to each other. That we may be all partakers of the same blessings, that we may be all intelligent, that we may be all learned in the things of, God, in the, things of the kingdom of God, And I'll be prepared for the celestial inheritance in eternal worlds. This is the difference between the system that we have embraced in the systems of the world. They are of men, but this is of God. Among the Gentiles, they tread upon one another and ride into power and influence on the ruin of others. And they do not care who sinks, if they swim. The kingdom of God exalts the good, blesses all, enlightens all, expands the minds of all, and puts within the reach of all of the blessings of e- and puts within the reach of all the blessings of eternity. Journal of Discourses, Volume five, page two hundred and sixty. About twelve o'clock a number of young persons called to see the Egyptian records. My scribes exhibited them. One of the young ladies who had been examining them was asked if they had the appearance of antiquity. She observed with an air of contempt that they had not. On hearing this, I was surprised at the ignorance she displayed. I observed to her that she was an an anomaly in creation. For all the wise and learned that had, had examined them without hesitation pronounced them ancient. I further remarked that it was downright wickedness, ignorance, bigotry, and superstition had caused her to make that remark, and that I would put it on record. And I have done so because it is a fair sample of the prevailing spirit of the times, showing that the victims of priestcraft and superstition would not believe, though one should rise from the dead. Joseph Smith, Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 329. Men generally, although very particular about financial matters and things pertaining to time, although very careful about the acquisition of wealth and desirous of knowing which is the best way to invest it after they had obtained it, although desirous to obtain honor and fame and wealth, yet in regard to religious matters it seemed that they are perfectly willing that anybody should should think of them for uh, think for them and act for them, and to be their dictators and guides. And hence they have a hireling priesthood whom they pay to take care of their souls. Just as they pay physicians to take care of the bodies and lawyers to take care of their property. Religion is not a thing according to the estimation of the great many that anybody ought to be dabbling with. It belongs to the priests and the teachers, etc. Who are paid for teaching their dogmas, theories, creeds, and opinions. up. I was brought up a member of the Church of England the same as my friend, the speaker, who preceded me. It is customary among the Episcopalians to prepare men for the ministry just the same as they prepare men for doctors, lawyers, or for the military profession. In examining their boys to find for what they are the best capacitated, it, or if one is pretty shrewd, and he must be a lawyer. If one is full of fire and energy, then try to make a military officer out of him. But for those who are dull, dumpish, and ignorant, are generally made persons of, these are they who are teachers of religion and who the great masses of men are ready to follow. And as the scriptures say, when the blind lead the blind, They both fall into the ditch. Journal of Discourses, Volume 14, page 250 through 251, and that's John Taylor who said that. You know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and seminars and sermons and just teachings from all different uh, religious backgrounds from rabbis and Judaism, I listen to uh, Muslim imams, I listen to uh, evangelical preachers, Catholic preachers, or uh, just a lot of different people, and like, I'm always interested to hear their theories, and like, one of my favorite ones is um, the Branch Divinian Seventh-day Adventists, because they hold to the teachings of Ellen um, of G. White and and talk about like the early pioneers, that's what they call them, the early pioneers of the SDA movement. And like, I really like their thoughts, but at the end of the day, all they are is opinion if they don't get revelation. You know, and if these people who follow Ellen G. White and Kellogg and all of these other people, if they follow them, they are placing their trust in man. They don't get revelation for themselves. And, like, I listen to all of these people, and they're like, well, this and that and that and this. And, like, they've got a thousand different ways to look at one scripture. Like, I always find it interesting that among four Jews, there's, there's eight opinions, you know, like, it's kind of a joke, and I'm pretty sure I didn't get the numbers right. But, like, that's a thing. Like, among three Jews, there's six opinions or something like that. Because there's so many different ways to look at things. And when you look at all of the different translations of the scriptures, or you go back into the original and you try to figure out what the words mean, and then you try to, like, make it make sense in your Gentile mind, you just, you might get close on some things. But if you don't get revelation for yourself, you'll never know if what you believe is true. But most of the teachers of religion are like that. They think that they have some kind of knowledge, and I've seen this among, among um, LDS bishops and stake presidents as well. I've had bishops and stake presidents many times say, well, I'm no theologian. I wouldn't know anything about that. And I'm like, you're supposed to be the, the defender of the law." and you don't know about this stuff, like, why are you called to be a bishop or a stake president if you don't understand these things, you know? So, I I don't know, it's just uh, me emphasizing the point that we need to all have revelation for ourselves and not be trusting in any one man um, or set of men to give us the truth, because it's all logic, Like they might even hear the revelations of the founding leaders of Mormonism and it'll still be logic because I can tell you something and I guarantee you among a hundred different people who all hear the words coming out of my mouth as clearly as I can fight them or say them or whatever, you'll have multiple different interpretations of what I've said. Many of them won't even be correct or even close to what I was trying to say. And it's the same thing, um, as a prophet, um, one would receive revelation and they would take what they have received, the word of God or the oracle of God, and they will take it back to God and they will review it and they'll say, this is what I, this is what I believe you told me and I believe this is true. And if it's off, because you can... So God speaks to your mind, and it has to be interpreted into the language, your spoken language, how the words come across. And you've got to like go back and make sure that this is what God was saying. Because like there's always communication errors, even between man and God. So you have to check everything, double-check everything. Anyway, but like if you don't do that and you don't get a confirmation of the spirit that what is being interpreted is right, then you will not have the may not have the correct interpretation. anyway, I just I know that through personal experience. Anyway, continuing on, that all the bishops and clergy and priests of every denomination repent and cease to preach false doctrines. And let them be baptized and come into the church of Christ and seek no more to fight against the Lord's work. For unless they do this, the Lord shall visit them in swift judgment, and they shall perish quickly out of the earth. For they are the ones that have corrupted the earth with their false vain, and foolish foolish, and powerless doctrines. They are the ones who have blinded the eyes and hardened the hearts against the Lord's great, and last message, therefore, except they repent, there is in reserve for them a heavier judgment, and they shall gnaw their tongues in pain. And that is from Orson Pratt, Divinity. Uh, actually, I don't know what the, the reference is. It's div.org. D-I-V a U T H. dot of Book of Mormon by Orson P. Orson P. Pratt, page 96. I actually talked to Beverly and Kevin Kraut this weekend, so this program's coming out Monday. But I talked to them yesterday and the day before, and Beverly was telling me that the first time uh, a b- a book is uh, introduced, that it'll have the full name of the book. Um, And then after that, they'll abbreviate it. But that doesn't seem to be the case in this book because I was trying to figure out what something meant, what the reference was to. And we determined it's collected discourses and there's five volumes of collected discourses. But um, when I went back to look to see if I could find the first instance of it in the book, it was abbreviated at that point too, so I don't know what was going on with that, but um, I think this is the first time I've seen this uh, particular reference, so it's by Orson Pratt, and uh, if you want to know what um, page number to go looking for that quote... You can find it on page 164 of Four Crafts. Prejudice and Persecution When a man's craft is in danger, he will use drastic means to defend it and prevent corruption. Joseph Smith found out this out for himself as he presented a threat as he presented a threat to the local ministers who heard his story. You know, I actually did want to say something about that last quote, that Orson Pratt quote. Like, one of the things that really worries me is I know that when Zion is is in the process of being redeemed, there's going to be a lot of the remnant who are tares, who tag along with the wheat. And a lot of these individuals will think that they are wheat, but they're going to be like those ministers who drag in their own theology, like Sidney Rigdon. They're going to drag in their own theology, and then they will fight about what's right and what's wrong. And I don't look forward to that time. You know, I I, am, I don't know. I just I see that it's going to be a problem because there's too many people who think that they know too much to be taught. And they have all kinds of different opinions. And they'll even say, oh yeah, I know, I've got a get confirmation of the Spirit. But then they learned it through someone like Field Davis or somebody else that actually gives them a wrong way to confirm things through the Spirit. And they think that they're all right in doing what they do, and actually they are very wrong for doing it the way that they do it. And it does lead them and others astray. Um, getting... So the spirit speaks to your mind and to your heart. But the way Phil Davis is trying to uh, tell people to receive confirmation of the spirit is through your mind and through your mind, but not through your heart. And there's a lot of people who are like, well, if the spirit deceived me and I had all of this emotionalism, then it can't speak through your your heart. It can only speak through your mind, but Satan can speak to your mind as well. And Satan doesn't speak to your heart. He withdraws, like the spirit withdraws from you, and you'll feel the exact opposite of the spirit. So it's it, there's an emotional feeling there, but it's not emotionalism. But anyway, these individuals who have been tainted by the lies in the church through the priest crafters and the... the uh, the Babylonian businessmen who have hijacked the church they're going to say well they manipulated my emotions so i can't trust my emotions but that's sad because god speaks to our mind and to our heart through both and the fruit of the spirit is all about feelings and and these type of things you know galatians chapter 5 22 and 23 peace joy love and these type of feelings right so um, those individuals who don't think that God can speak to your heart because you've, you've been led into emotionalism, um, you're actually leading people astray by trying to teach them another gospel or another doctrine because God speaks to your mind and to your heart. and You have to be aware of both when he speaks to you. So he'll speak to your mind first. And then you ask for a confirmation of the spirit and and then he will give a confirmation to your heart if it's right. And sometimes he'll give you something that's true, but then you misinterpret or you misinterpret it in your own mind and you tell him, Well, I believe this is what you are saying and the spirit will withdraw from you and you'll think, Well, it must not have been from God But it was from God, it's just that you misinterpreted it and you need to ask for clarification. All right, so I'm going to restart with this last part that I started and then started a new little tangent. Pre- uh, prejudice and per- Persecution. <clears throat> when a man's craft is in danger, he will use drastic means to defend it and pervert, competi- uh, prevent competition. Joseph Smith found this out for himself as he presented a threat to a lo- two local ministers who had heard his story. I soon found, however, that my telling the story had ex- excited a great deal of prejudice against me among the professors of religion, and was the, great, uh, the cause of great persecution, which continued to increase, and though I was an obscure boy, only between 14 and 15 years of age, and my circumstances in life, such to, to make a boy of little of no consequence in the world, yet men of high standing would take notice sufficient to excite the public mind against me and create a bitter persecution. This was common among all of the sects, for they all united to persecute me. And we're on page 165 if you're reading along. It caused me serious reflection then, and often has since, how very strange it was that an obscure boy of a little over 14 years of age, and one too who was doomed to the necessity of obtaining a scanty maintenance by his daily labor, should be thought a character of sufficient importance to attract the attention of the great ones of the most popular sects of the day. And in a manner to create them, a spirit in them, a spirit of the most bitter persecution and reviling. But strange or not, so it was, and it was often the case, of great sorrow to myself. Pearl of Great Price, Joseph Smith, History, 22, well, 1, 22 through 23. I don't know why they put 1, because there's only one chapter. So... It's just 22 and 23. Anyway, when Joseph Smith received his first revelation from the Lord, he was told that the present-day religions were all wrong and that their creeds were an abomination in his sight and that those professors were all corrupt, that they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And that they teach for doctrine the commandments of men having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 1, page 6. And you know what I would say? That the same thing applies to the ministers and the bishops and the pastors and the prophets in every single religious denomination today, including all of the branches of Mormonism. I know I'm going to offend a lot of people by saying that, but especially among the uh, corporation of the church, that they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They teach for doctrine the commandments of men. And I know that I probably get a lot of pushback and people will turn off this podcast because they don't want to hear it. that it's true. Like just for one instance, okay? Something I harp on all the time. Where's your United Orders? Sixteen million members, not one United Order. You're supposed to be taking care of the poor. Where's your soup kitchens? Where's your homeless shelters? And I'm not talking about the bishop's storehouse where you have to go to a bishop, okay, implying that you actually have a ward to go to, and then the bishop gives you a food order that you can take back to your house, wherever you're living, and cook it. What about the homeless? What about soup kitchens? Homeless shelters. Homeless shelters. You know, with one of these temples that they're building, they could build 10 large uh, homeless shelters or soup kitchens. And they have a huge problem in Salt Lake City and the surrounding areas with the homeless, and they rely on the, um, the Protestant Christians to run these soup kitchens, and, these, and they should be leading the charge. They have more money than these organizations. I don't care about your $100 billion that you supposedly sent out for humanitarian, what, vaccinations? I don't know what your what is, where they're spending this money or how they say that they sent a, a, a billion dollars or just shy of a billion dollars out. Where's your soup kitchens? Where's your United Orders? Why is it that Ether Chapter 3 Mohanrei Moriankomer says that um, that Jesus appears to him and Jesus says I have a spirit body and I've never yet appeared to anyone before this point yet Jehovah had appeared to many many people and you say that Jesus and Jehovah are the same person and clearly they're not Abraham sat down with, uh, with Jehovah and had a meal of meat and dairy with him as a resurrected being and he appeared to people before the flood and before Mohan and Mori Yankamur, yet Jesus is saying, this is my spirit body, and this is the body that I'll come in in the flesh, and this is the first time I've ever appeared to anyone on the earth. You know, like, up until the eight, uh, early 1880s, Jesus Christ was the grandson of Jesus, and then over time, the doctrines of men began to... to infiltrate into the church and now you're being taught doctrines of men instead of the restored gospel and the restored knowledge that joseph smith brought and then you're going to uh what just just ignore him because the dead oracles aren't as important as the living oracles which is just a flippin lie in that even because uh an oracle is the word of god and there are no dead oracles but these prophets P-R-O-F-I-T-S Prophets Not, not uh, Prophets like The Hebrew prophet These guys want to say That they are the oracles Because Satan wants to change the definitions Of words and then you get These doctrines of men As mingled with scripture by these Men that have a form of godliness But deny the power thereof these men that do not have power of the priesthood to heal anyone or do anything. All they can do is tell you how wonderful you are or how wonderful they are or get others to, uh, you know, other, others... Uh. Like, one of the big things with the church is whoever is the leader of the church gets the most praise. And everybody falls in line and says how wonderful they are. And then they die and they become a dead oracle according to the church which is a lie because the oracles of God are never dead they're always living because the oracles of God have nothing to do with being a prophet you know so anyway so you get the doctrines of men mingled with scripture and and you get it in the lds church a lot and i wouldn't have a program if there wasn't so much to expose but I have a lot to expose, so anyway, continuing on. It was these professors of religion that petitioned the politicians in Washington to, to destroy the Mormons. They continually fled for their, uh, with their ideas of, of how wicked, immoral, and criminal the Latter-day Saints were. With all their letter-writing, preaching, and leading mobs against the Mormons, they proved to be the most bitter towards the new church. Their zeal drove them to fanaticism. And let me just say, if you're not a threat to the devil's kingdom, he's not going to look at you twice. It's because the restoration was a threat to the devil's kingdom. The devil raised up his head to try to destroy them. But is the church being destroyed now? Are you receiving persecution in the church now? No, because the church has changed. And you are no longer a threat to the devil's kingdom he doesn't care about you he doesn't care about the institution he might care about the individuals in the institution depending on where they're at and if they if he thinks they're going to become a threat to the devil's kingdom his kingdom but for the majority of you you're not a threat to the devil's kingdom and neither is the church it was but things have changed apostasy has set in their zeal drove them to fanaticism they were not preaching the gospel of christian love and tolerance they were advocating persecution destruction and death talk about abomination no word could describe it better regardless of the errors and false doctrines and the priest of the ministers and priests of this dispensation one thing is worse than all the rest it is their treatment of their fellow men they disagree with mormonism so they create uh, persecution and violence against them they preach about brotherly love kindness and doing good to your neighbor but that is not what they practice persecution became the most negative feature of modern christianity and joseph identified where it came from quote i am like a huge rough stone rolling down a high mountain and the only polishing I get is when some corner gets rubbed off by coming into contact with something else. Striking with accelerated force against religious bigotry, priestcraft and lawyercraft, doctorcraft, lying editors, suburb jur- judges, and jurors, and the authority of the prejudiced, prejudiced executives, backed by mobs, blasphemers, licentious, and corrupt men and women, All And all hell knocking off a corner here and a corner there. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 5, page 401, and that was Joseph Smith who said that. In 1911, the LDS First Presidency again labeled Christian ministers as their worst enemies. Quote, "...Mormonism's earliest and most bitter opponents were professed ministers of Christ." Thundering from the pulpit their angry protests and fierce denunciations against old Joe Smith and his followers, they misrepresented them in every conceivable way, and they do that still through their stupid books and their anti-Mormon crap, but it's not the same as it was before. Poisoning the minds of their parishioners against them, slandering them in public and in private, publishing deflammatory and hate inflamed articles And insinuating vexatious lawsuits against the leaders and the members of the new religious body, and even instigating and leading lawless mobs in their violent assaults upon the persons and properties of the despised and excreted Mormons. That's Joseph F. Smith, Anthony H. Lund, and John Henry Smith, Message of the First Presidency, Volume 4, page 236, or on page 167. It is difficult to believe that men who claim to be the servants of the Lord would go to such extreme measures to cause other people so much trouble. They were not satisfied to arouse the anger of just the local people, but would exert every effort to spread that hatred nationwide. Newell Knight described these scenes, quote, The sectarian priests and missionaries around us were among the first to come, out, uh, both, uh, to come out both secretly and openly against us. Among the more active of these was Mr. Pixley, who did not content himself in slandering us to the people of Jackson County, but also wrote to the Eastern Papers telling horrible lies about us, with the evident intention of rousing a spirit of hatred against us. His talk was of the bitterest kind, his speeches perfectly inflammatory, and he appeared to have influence among the people to carry them with him in his hellish design. His efforts were seconded by such men as Reverend McCoy, Fitzhughes, Bogard, Kavanaugh, Love Lady, Lycans, Hunter, and others. End quote. Newell Knight's journal in Scraps of Biography, page 76. When the Mormons say that all the religion of the world are corrupt and led by de- devils, it is merely an opinion. But when these religions shall join together and persecute, plunder, drive, and murder the Mormons, then they have but then they are proving that is a fact. Jesus said that criticism and persecution would be the heritage of the faithful, and they would expect others to revile you and to say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Matthew chapter 5 verse uh, verse 11. But when the ministers of Christianity go out of their way to find cause of of such persecution and prosecution upon a people of for their differences in beliefs it is totally unchristian some of them even led mobs to kill the mormons page 168 if you're reading along, mormons soon acquired the enmity of ministers and adherents of the christian churches of missouri the saints were ever aware that the message their message was to say the least, irritating with the various professors of religion. Not only were they Yankees, but might, mighty peculiar people even for Northerners, and they professed this new dispensation of the gospel had become necessary, and that the upstart Joseph Smith, not one of the learned pre- prelates, had been called of God to reestablish the true church. And to add to the resentment, some Mormons, lacking in tact, openly stated that God had promised them a place in Missouri. The, sectarians, the sectarian priests inhabited Jackson and the surrounding counties became some of the most zealous foes of the saints. Reverend Phineas Ewing, out of the noted Cumberland Church stated in print that the Mormons are the common enemies of mankind and ought to be destroyed. Well, that's mighty Christian of you, Mister. Anyway, that's from Mormonism and Ameri- uh Mormonism, Americanism, and Politics by uh, Vetterly, Vetter pages 82 and 83. The leaders of the Mormon Church acknowledged the villainous activities of other nations' ministers and reminded the saints that it was the fulfillment of one of the Book of Mormon prophecies from Orson Pratt. So this is Orson Pratt stating a Book of Mormon prophecy. Quote, Here then was the beginning, as it were, of the fulfillment of the Book of Mormon, that the abominable, abominable church among one of the nations of the Gentiles at least was gathered together under a religious influence to persecute the saints contrary to the constitution of our country. See, and this also goes along with Daniel chapter 7 where it talks about the little horn persecuting the, the saints until the Ancient of Days comes. But anyway, continuing on with Orson Pratt here. They could not do it legally. They could not be upheld in it by true and legal authority, but they could do it illegally under the sanction of priestcraft, under the advice of those who who pro- proclaim from the pulpit. Journal of Discourses, Volume 7, page 184. There were some Americans, however, that recognized the atrocities that were being committed against the Mormons and of such and one such man william r vance wrote to joseph smith quote when i read of the in the times and seasons of the persecution of the latter-day saints i am struck with astonishment to think of such horrid and bloody persecution in our land that boasts of liberty and in the midst of christendom good lord is blood and slaughter the religion of the prince of peace What? To see a bloody mob headed by the band of men denominating themselves as the ministers of the gospel, marching forth with sword in hand, taking the lives of innocent men, women, and children in order to maintain their religion instead of maintaining it by the sword of truth and the power of the word of God? Ah, but their craft is in danger. Times and Seasons, Volume 2, page 349. Even years later, when the Mormons were beyond the borders of the United States away from those ministers, other men of the cloth still continued their tirade against the saints. In 1877, at the death of, of President Brigham Young, Reverend DeWitt Talmadge suggested the following abusive program for the government to handle the Mormon problem, quote, Now, my friends, Now at the death of the Mormon chieftain, it is the time for the United States government to strike. Let as much of their rich lands be confiscated as will pay for their subjugation. If the government of the United States cannot stand their their expense, let Salt Lake pay for it. Set Phil Sheridan after them. Give him enough troops and he will teach all Utah that 40 wives is 39 too many. Brigham Young, M.R. Warner, page 40, I'm sorry, 492. Other hateful feelings were expressed about this time by many religious sources. For instance, quote, the Reverend uh, Dr. Crosby of New York, advocated in a sermon after sermon that Mormonism ought to be di- dynamited. Professor J.M. Conyer affirmed that he had analyzed Mormonism and found it included diabolism, anal- animalism, Mohammedism, and bigotry, cunning and treachery of Judaism, thugism, and made a dose for Columbia, and he wondered how long she could stand it. The Presbytite, the Presbyterian Chicago Interior offered this Christian example of a solution to the Mormon question. Let the lands and the tenants of Mormonism be thrown open to uh, original of the Mormons be thrown open to original entry by civilized settlers. Let it be understood that the keep, that the army keep out of the way in Utah for four years and that the use of occupation of Mormon property for one year is to give a pre eminition title. It's kind of hard to uh, figure out what in the world they're speaking, because I know they're speaking English, but the way that they do their words and sentences, it doesn't compute in my mind but continuing on there are enough young men in the, w- the west and the south who are seeking homes to furnish up the past fumigate the territory and establish themselves in 90 days after the word is get- the word go is given so basically it's like we should just send all of these people who need homes out there to utah and steal their property like they were doing in missouri and like they did in nauvoo Because at that time, the church was a threat to the devil's kingdom. What changed? Heber J. Grant was a big part of the change, but so was Willard Richards. No, Wilford Woodruff. Anyway, the Episcopal Convention held in New York City in 1881 prescribed the use of strong force of military arm to deal with them. Mormons, Americans, and Politicians, page 628. In some cases, persecution has the opposite effect of what it was intended by the persecutors. For instance, instead of destroying the early saints, it caused them to unite even more and strengthen each other. Instead of making the saints disperse and disappear, they became more um, publicized and in some cases sympathized with. In one of the case classic articles produced under the rod of persecution, President John Taylor and George Q. Cannon wrote an article that should be read by everyone. This rather lengthy article was written in 1886 during some of the most severe persecution from the government. A few passages follow. Quote. In the providence of the almighty persecution serves a most useful purpose. Every faithful saint must perceive and acknowledge this. Each one reels its effects upon himself and sees its effects upon his friends and neighbors. Persecution develops character. Under its influence, we all know better, ourselves better than we did before we felt its pressure. And we discover traits in our brethren and sisters of of the existence of which perhaps we were in entire ignorance. The persecution from which we have been suffering during these 18 months past, though very painful, has not been without profit to the Latter-day Saints. It has strengthened and infused a new zeal, courage, and determination into the faithful. It, uh, it has also caused many who were careless and indifferent to arouse themselves from their lethargy li- and to anew their diligence in the work of God. It has also brought to light the hypocrisy of many, causing them to throw off the mask of friendship and fellowship which they wore and to exhibit themselves in their true Alignment, I guess. Religious and irreligious ministers and I don't know what that word is. Sac, sacerdotal robes? And atheistic scoffers, businessmen of integrity and blacklegs, temperance men and drunkards, Men of strict morality and pimps and harlots are crowded together on the platform they have constructed, and they find no inconvenience from each other's companionship. Each is made to believe that it is so, that it is to his direct interest to combine to destroy Mormonism. A more motley collection of human beings was never witnessed. Differ as they may upon everything else, there has been one common thought and purpose running through the whole and holding them together, and that is hatred of the religion of the Latter-day Saints and a determination to destroy it and them. The conspirators have appealed to the prejudices of each one to induce him to work in concert for this common end. In the, ministry, the ministers, they have found ready and willing allies. In fact, these have been the chief authors and promoters of the conspiracy. The Pharisees in the day of the Savior were no more ready to egg the multitude to cry out, Crucify him, crucify him, than the many ministers of our time who, are, who urge Congress to enact measures for our destruction. It is now some years since the sectarian ministers here, with the exception of the Catholic clergymen, combined in a document to Congress urging that body to legislate against us. This action they have often repeated since, destitute of confidence in their own religious systems and their power to cope with truth which we profess without aid from the from the secular power. They make the air resound with their clamors for Congress to pass laws to crush us and our religion. And they enlist men in their cloth their cloth elsewhere in the same unchristian business. And that was message of the first Presidency, Volume three, page fifty and fifty one. When, when Moses tried to give the Israelites the higher law of the gospel, they rejected them, the higher law. Then Jesus tried to preach them to the Jews, but they too refused to accept such laws and killed Jesus for teaching them. Once again, the prophet Joseph Smith tried to reveal these higher laws to the people with the same reaction, and, they, they, and he was killed by the hands of his enemies. The parallels are identical. Harvey Clough explains it in more detail. Quote, The martyrdom of the Prophet Joseph Smith, in cause and effect, marks a chapter in the history of the world parallel only to the crucifixion of the Savior. The cause which the Prophet Joseph represented was the same original gospel which was introduced by the elder brother or the Redeemer. The persecution which followed the king of the Jews by his countrymen was very like the persecution inflicted upon the prophet Joseph Smith by his countrymen. Christ came as the great redeemer of mankind, a sacrifice for the atonement of all of the original sin. Joseph Smith came as a restorer of the gospel under Christ, and his blood had to be shed in order to seal the divinity of his mission and to make it as valid as the mission of Jesus Christ. Joseph Smith, therefore, walked in Christ's footsteps and bore the cross to the sacrifice of his own blood. Christ's mission was to all the world. The world was fully represented at his crucifixion. There were Jews, Greeks, Romans, Egyptians, Arabs, Syrians, rabbis, priests, Sadducees, and scribes, all crying, crucify him. The prophet Joseph Smith's mission was to all the world, the world was fully represented at this martyrdom, if not directly. The world acquies, acquies, i can't say that word—acquiesced. Oh, that's how you say it. Acquiesced in the deed. And we're on the last page, page 173. For where the Americans. English, Scots, Welsh, Irish, Frenchmen, Germans, Spanish, Scandinavians, clergymen, ministers, reverends, divines, doctors, lawyers, and judges are all saying, kill him, martyr him. The parallelism cannot be refuted. It stands as an un- unperishable pillar which reaches to the very throne of God. End quote. Harvey Cloft Autobiography, Transcript, BYUS, pages 7 and 8. As it was with Jesus Christ, so it was with Joseph Smith, and I'm going to say so it was with the la- it'll be with the last prophet. Those who should have been their greatest friends became their worst enemies. Death was in their hearts and blood was on their their hands. What power the adversary has over men of the cloth to cause such atrocities to be carried out in order to benefit their So that is the end of that particular uh, section. Now, this week is kind of different for me. I am going to be taking a test drive for a new company that I'm going to be working with. And I don't know when that is. It'll be in the next day or two. And it's just screwed up my whole schedule. Um, So I'm going to be working 14 hours on, 10 hours off, 4 days on, and 4 days off. So I'll have to pre-record my shows, my podcasts to come out uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 6 p.m. But depending on where I'm at, I may not be able to have live shows, which doesn't really matter anyway because nobody ever calls in like they used to i don't know what happened anyway it doesn't matter i'll still continue to uh, publish content uh, because apparently people like it uh, even if they don't like to call into the live maybe i intimidate them or something i don't know it doesn't matter though so um my new job is going to be hauling crude oil and um it's going to be a difficult job. I'll be going from the Uinta Basin, which is north of where I'm at now, which is freezing cold. I used to work out there in the oil fields like 10 to 12 years ago. It's brutal. And I'll be, I'm going to be going over a pass called Indian Pass, which is like 95 or 9,700 9, feet every day, like four times a day, which uh, will probably require chains. And then running out to the oil fields. But one of the things that's kind of cool about this run, um, back in the day, the only way I could do this job was I knew the oil fields and I knew how to read oil field maps, which I would say 90% of the people out there would just get lost. They don't. People wouldn't understand how to read oil field maps. They're hard to read. But I, my whole, the whole top. Uh, The whole top of my cab and behind the passenger seat was full of maps back in the day when I I used to be oil field emergency management so what my job was to do was to work um, from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. or till the job was finished and I would take care of high-pressure wells and uh, fracks and um, oil-filled pipeline breaks and cleanups. Like, I was out there for the things that needed to happen for somebody to cover these things at night. And, like, they started off with three of us, but I was so efficient that they actually got rid of the other guys, and it was just me out there. And I had one other individual out there who would be out at Glen Bench at the shop, at, uh, close to where the beginning of the field was for where I was working. Although I went a lot of places besides just the one big area down in the down in what they call O'Ray. Anyway, but um, so like I have experience in the oil fields. I know what it's all about. I'm going to be gauging tanks and. Uh, testing the gravity of the oil and figuring out how much I can legally gross and how many barrels I can haul. And I think it's like 200 and something barrels per tanker. And uh, I'll be taking it over that 95 or 9,700 foot pass. I think it's 9,500 foot. Uh, it's called Indian Pass. And I'll be going down into uh, Castle Valley Valley over there to Wellington To unload in the rail yard so that it can be taken to different refineries. So this company that I'm going to be starting with, uh, they just up their production from 2,000 barrels a a day, no 2,500 barrels a day to 4,000 barrels a day. So they really need help and they are paying $250 a load to do it. So some days I'll only get $250, but some days I can make five hundred dollars a day which is way better than coal and uh with this guy that i went back to i i figured out that he actually like when i worked for him back in uh, 2016 to 2020 um his pay was better back then i found old pay stubs and old uh settlement sheets And he's actually paying less now, but he told me that when he went to lease with this other company, he's getting a lot more money, and he's just greedy, and I can't stand him. And he's lied to me over and over again, right to my face, and I'm not like, I don't want the confrontation, so I just grin and bear it, but I can't stand working for this guy. I wish I never would have worked for him. So I'm making that change, and it's kind of a hard time for us because I haven't been making a whole lot of money, and uh, I'm going to do this other job and hopefully I can get the hang of it. Um, It's only $200 per day training but once I figure it out um, as long as I have good nights and it's not just ridiculous Arius, I'm talking can you go talk to mom please? I am on the phone no, you need to go sorry, my three year old has to tell me something and now he's walking away, all slouched, like he's very, very upset that I will not talk to him. But I'll talk to him in a minute. Anyway, but um, I'm just done with being lied to, and I'm kind of burnt out of coal. And you know what? It's kind of funny because I was in uh, doing belly dumps from 2003 to 2008. And uh, I held gypsum, I held rock, I held coal. Uh, I did a bunch of that stuff. Um, and I went in 2008 to the oil fields, and did that for two, a little over two years, until Obama uh, pulled all of our drilling leases and all, all. He just shut down a bunch of stuff. He's the reason why gas prices went so sky high back in 2010, 11, 12, whatever. Um, So I will be going back to oil field work. And it's hard. And I know what I'm getting myself into. But I've done it before. And to tell you the truth, if it wasn't for Obama doing what he did, I never would have quit. So I'm getting back into it. It's a little bit different than before. Uh, cause like I used to have to go over to Indian pass when there was like, um, like emergencies over in castle Valley. I had to go uh, help with cleanups and whatnot. Um, but it was rare and this is going to be every night. So, or every day, cause it's 14 hours on 10 hours off and I'll probably be spending most of my time in the truck for those four days. I probably won't be going home very often. It's a 90 mile drive from where the truck parks to where I, my house is, and uh, when I have only 10 hours off, that's an impossible drive. So uh, it's just, it is what it is. So, anyway, hopefully I can figure out how to live in the semi truck again, but. Um, it will affect the radio program, but I'll probably, I'll try to pre-record the programs on my four days off so that they will continue on um, Mondays at 6, Wednesdays at 6, and Fridays at 6. So that's when they'll drop, 6 p.m., Mountain Standard Time. So, anyway, um, and uh, I don't, think I'll be doing any lives tonight uh, for questions or comments. I think we're just going to uh, drop the program and let it go since i if I do a live I have to wait around and see if somebody's gonna call in or if anybody has questions in chat and uh, since nobody ever does then I don't know I'm wasting my time trying to wait to see if somebody might have some kind of uh you know thoughts for a conversation. So, all right. Anyway, I hope everybody has a good day, and uh, we'll be back on Wednesday at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time with another episode of Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Take care, everyone. God bless, and goodbye.